BizQuick podcast hits on the struggles and advantages of being an entrepreneur. It's for anyone who's made the commitment to burn the boats and not look back. Are you a busy entrepreneur or small business owner trying to do it all? Then this podcast is for you. Corey and Julie will take you through the details of building a strong business. Hit the subscribe button and gear up for another episode of BizQuick Podcast. Hey, welcome to BizQuick. I'm Julie. And I'm Corey. And on today's show, we have Jesse Harris. He's an endodontist out of the Richmond, Virginia area. And if that name sounds familiar, you are correct. It is Corey's big brother joining us today. We're going to talk all things business when it comes to specialized uh, what's professions, right? So, you know, dentists, lawyers, doctors, they don't really get the business background. Well, I think the whole point of this is that most small business owners don't have the business background. You don't need a business background to start a business. I, and and he's he well and he's learned it the hard way. Like yes. he he got a uh, his undergrad was in biology and then he went to dental school and then he was in the Air Force for a bit and then he specialized and didn't take a single business class. I always forget that Jesse is a hero. Oh yeah. Yeah, I forget. I'll, I'll, I'm going to be sure and thank him for his service while he's on the, on the pod with us. <laughs> I have thoughts about that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but uh, yeah, you're correct. You don't need to have, I feel like I'm yelling. Am I yelling right now? No, you're good. Okay. Um, you don't need to have a business background or business degree to start a business. Um, what's interesting though on, you know, the situation with, you know, people that have those advanced degree educations like the, and I'm not talking MBAs, I'm talking, you know, doctors and whatnot. What's wrong with my MBA? <laughs> Wait, you have an MBA? Yes. We've never talked about that before. I'm smarter and more educated than you. <laughs> fact. That is a fact. Um, but I'm funnier and more creative than you. One of those is true. You, which one? One of them. <laughs> you can't have all the titles, Corey. Um, well, what I was going to say is that, you know, what's interesting is, you know, we've, we, we've mentioned this before on the podcast is how, you know, because of the degree, this medical degree that this, is it a medical degree? Yeah. 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 Okay. That, that Jesse has, you know, really easy for people that, that walk out of, you know, their education and training to get these big loans or to work with banks to, to open a business and they never had any business training. And the, I mean, the reason being is that they've had enough education that they're kind of in a, an industry where it's hard to fail. So even if you're like managing your business extremely poorly, you're still going to do okay. Yeah. And and that's one of the things that, uh, like in many conversations I've had with him where he, it, he's just kind of surprised at like uh, how ignorant many people are, including himself, like in his circle when it comes to like doing things in business because they've all had to figure it out the hard way. Or they hire, you know, somebody like us to, like, coach them and teach them how yeah. to do something. But it's still one of those things where you think that if you're, like, leaving school after spending however many hundreds of thousands of dollars to get this degree, whatever it is, if, you know, if you're a lawyer or a doctor or whatever, maybe somebody should have taught you how to, like, manage your money. 
Because we've, like, he's told me some crazy stories, which I'm not going to, like, jump into, but, like, of people who have just no clue what's going on in their business. Sure. But that, we see that in just with regular business owners. Exactly. But they don't have, you know, they're not doctors, and they don't have MBAs like you do, Corey. I know. <laughs> not everybody can pay $60,000 for three letters after their name, Julie. <laughs> now I know why you won't let me manage the money at SB Pace, because I don't have an MBA. And you're not good with numbers. <laughs> It's true. It's true. I can't really math in my head. No. No. Or on paper. <laughs> <laughs> okay, now I'm just laughing at myself. But, um, well, I've always found it to be interesting, though, when you think, okay, so you you go, you become like a heart surgeon or an endodontist or whatever. And, and for the record, and I'm going to say this again on the podcast, I love endodontists. I just think they're the best, right? I always have. Not not just because I really like Jesse, which I do really like Jesse, but I just, endodontists are amazing. Um, but they already, in most instances, uh, why are you throwing stuff at me, Corey? <laughs> in most instances, they're coming out with a lot of debt already from student loans and whatnot for their education. And then banks are willingly giving them more debt. And that just feels really weird to me. Well, I think like for dentists, especially, I think the, like the failure rate for a dental practice is like 2%. Really? Yeah. So it's a, like I said, it's a pretty smart bet on a bank to loan a dentist money. Why didn't we open that business when the pandemic? Because neither of us are dentists. Um, <laughs> Fact. But that's it, true. That is true. Yeah, it, it's something crazy like that. Where like, and and the frustrating thing is for me, like in you know, I, I know restaurants, and I'm trying to open a restaurant. Wait, and, you're opening a restaurant? Yeah, I did. If you don't know, but we just talked about this today. I got a. Um, we've got cash in the bank to buy our equipment. Mm-hmm. We are trying to go through some financing options so that we can just spend somebody else's money. Sure. Um, instead of spending our own cash, so we can have a little extra working capital laying around. I got one offer today from somebody for a forty-six percent interest rate on equipment. That's because restaurants are such a bad bet. They are because it doesn't require like you don't have to go to school for ten years to be open up a restaurant. Yeah. You just need some cash, and so if you know what you're doing, restaurants are a great bet. If you don't know what you're doing, you're doomed to fail. Wait, I have a question. Yeah. A very serious question. When you were talking to this, I'm assuming it was a gentleman, about getting you know, some equipment, and he offered you 46% interest, did you tell him you have an MBA? No, I didn't. But okay. I, I laughed and I said, so that's like a 46% interest rate. He's like, well, it's a little bit lower than that. It's probably like 43. And I'm like, does that <laughs> fucking matter? <laughs> It feels really high. Yeah. Really high. It, and, and it was like not a big loan, but it was like $60,000 loan for equipment. And at the end of three years, we would have paid the company $115,000. Wow. Almost twice. Can I ask you a serious question? Yeah. Did Did you do that math in your head to figure out that it was 43% interest? I ballparked it, yeah. You're smart, Corey. That's, that's why I went to school. <laughs> That's why I have degrees, Julie. <laughs> that is why you have degrees. So anyway, I'm really looking forward to talking to Jesse and, um, you know, finding out how, like, some of the things that he learned the hard way and what, maybe what he would do differently if he was starting over. Yeah, that'll be interesting to find out. Yeah, so. let's bring him in. Cool. See you on the other side. 
Listen up, BizQuick fans. Julie and Corey are launching two new group coaching programs designed specifically for aspiring entrepreneurs and small business owners. Small Business Startups is a 90-day program that will walk any aspiring entrepreneur through the steps required to launch a successful and solid business. The Small Business Accelerator is a nine-week coaching program that helps anyone with an existing business build a stronger foundation and create actionable goals to take their business to the next level. Check out both programs on our site under the services section or click on the link in the show notes to learn more. Now back to the show. All right, and welcome back to the show. We've got my brother, Jesse, on the podcast, ready to talk about starting a business with no business back. Uh, hmm. Let's try that again. No business background. There we go. Hey, brother. Hey, brother. What's happening, man? Hey, guys, I'm here. <laughs> Can you Hi, see Julie. me? Hey, Jesse. So, yeah, we started off the podcast by talking about uh, just kind of the high level your your journey into being an entrepreneur where you um it went to uh dental uh dental school and then went to the air force and then you specialized and then you opened up your own practice and in all of the years of experience that you had being a dentist not one of them included owning a business not a single hour yes That's that is crazy. insane i just before yeah. we go any further and really dive into the business stuff I just, I want to, I do want to say this one thing. And I, I told Corey, I was going to say it. I say it all the time, you know, because, because you were in the military, you, you are a hero. We just, oh yes, you're a hero. So thank you for being a hero. It was my pleasure. I saved a lot of teeth. <laughs> That's an important thing. I, and I, I love that story too, because you, um, without diving into all the details, uh, when you decided to join the Air Force, you put in for all the overseas locations. You're like, I want to go in the thick of things. I want to go to like all the places. And they're like, cool, here's Alaska. Yeah. <laughs> here's middle of nowhere, Alaska. I lived in North Pole, Alaska. So yeah. Life changing pretty- experience for you though, wasn't it? It was. It was. I learned a lot. I met my wife. Yep. Got to see the North Slope and north of the Arctic Circle. So, yeah, it was good. Could you see Russia from there? Of course. (laughs) (laughs) To say hi. Excellent. All right. Now let's dig into business. So um, let's, I don't know, I guess start at the beginning there. Like, so you had exactly zero minutes of business training before you walked into a bank to get a loan, signed on. uh, I can't remember if you bought your first building or if you were renting to start. Like, you just, yeah, you bought. And so you just both feet bought a building, started a practice, walk through that. Okay. Yeah. So it was... um, so the the endodontic residency that I was in was a two year program. It was the fourth semester uh, where I started looking around trying to figure out what I was going to do, and I didn't really have any interest in owning. Um, I just kind of wanted to work for a couple of years and build up a little capital, and then figure out what I wanted to do after that. I didn't want the responsibility that comes with owning. But after a couple of interviews, I was driving back from Georgia. And my um, then girlfriend, now wife, uh, looked at me and said, you know, you're going to just have to do it yourself, right? And so I said, yeah, I kind of was getting that vibe myself. So um, it was February 2012. Decided to do my own thing. Went to the bank. um, Told them what I wanted to do. They gave me a list of demands. Uh, So I went, you know, home 
and, and wrote up a business plan and, you know, fulfilled um, their little worksheet to the best of my abilities. I went back to them in March <clears throat> and in March secured a loan, um, ended up being a combination private bank and SBA loan um, to purchase the space. It was 2,000 square feet uh, in Mechanicsville, Virginia. And the practice finance loan. So got started on the build out in June of 2012. Um, took boards at the end of June. Um, marketed like crazy from July 1st to September 1st. I probably went to over 100 dental practices more than once dropping off information, letting them know that I was going to be opening a practice and then was saw my first patient on September 4th, of 2012. Wow. That's fast. So just um, a little education for our listeners. I mentioned on the front end that when we introduced you that you're an endodontist, but your clients, your customers are dental practices because they refer to you. So just want to make sure that our our listeners understand why you were marketing to dental offices and not like putting up billboards and, and sending out flyers to local neighborhoods. Right. Yeah. It's not typical that somebody goes looking for a root canal. So it's usually when their dentist says, got some bad news. You got to go see somebody to get a root canal. So that's usually how that plays out. So yeah, 90, 95% of my business comes from referrals. What did you do? Um, when they told you you had to write a business plan. That's often one of the things that most people who we talk to, they're like, they think it's this crazy, you know, 3,000 page document that they have to research and et cetera, et cetera. And, and I know, I know you, you like to research. So I'm sure you probably did that quite a bit, but like walk through that experience, like never having written a business plan before and then having to turn one around fairly quickly. Yeah, I mean, the first thing that, well, the first thing I did was I asked the bank what they needed to see in the, in the, in the business plan. Like, okay, I don't really even know what that is, but can you at least tell me what you're looking for? Um, you know, and they're looking for that I've done my market research, demographic research. Um, they're looking to see whether I have any idea <clears throat> what the build out's going to cost, um, if I can forecast, uh, you know, production for um, the, the, the next three years to make sure that I'm going to be able to pay my bills. Um, and then after that, uh, I, I honestly just went online and, and, and did a search for business plans and just probably looked at 30 or 40 different business plans, not just dental, you know, just, um, mostly in the health field, but just to kind of see if there was a common theme, um, you know, ballpark, like how many pages they typically were, um, you know, uh, introduction, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I've written a ton of research papers throughout the years. So, I mean, writing a paper is one thing, but, you know, I need to know the content. So that's pretty much what I did. I mean, I asked a few people who had open practices on their own. And to be honest, they were not very forthcoming with anything. I mean, it's not like I was competition. I don't really know if they felt like, well, I did the work. You need to do the work too type of thing. I don't know what the deal was there. Like, like a rite of passage almost. Well, people are dicks. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> which is not uncommon in, in the medical field. <laughs> yeah. That's a pretty <laughs> or in the world, a lot of times yeah. pe people are just dicks. Let's be real. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. Yep. All right. So you got your, your doors open. You're, you know, 
operating, and I know that you've um, you had to figure out a lot of things the hard way. Um, so, what was one of like the I don't know. Let's let's say the biggest aha moment you had when running a business. The biggest aha moment. Um, I don't know that I, I I can't say that I had a biggest one. I had a lot of aha moments. Um, most of them uh, dealt with um, staff issues and what I need to tell them before I hire them. <laughs> what, <laughs> what what needs to sort of be laid out as far as my expectations, um, which is when the employee uh, handbook came into play pretty quick. Um, yeah, I mean, I generally I have the bad habit of just assuming that people know what I'm thinking and know what I want. And, and I tell them that this is what I want you to do. And then I assume that everything else will follow. And that's not the case. And so I, I think that I think if I had to pick a biggest one, it probably would be dealing with people and and learning how much of the picture I have to paint for them before I can let them go on their own. That's, yeah, an important lesson that, uh, I mean, many people have to figure out is that people, like when you're dealing with people, that that's the hardest part of a business is people, whether it's your employees, your customers or whatever, like the human element is always the biggest pain in the ass. Yes. And so frequently, I think um, people walk into it with that sort of the assumption that they're going to, people will just know, employees will just know what they're supposed to do or, or that if you are opening a business, you probably have a pretty solid, in most cases, a pretty solid work ethic, right? So you're not afraid of hard work. And so it's still to me, sometimes it's foreign when I think like I come across people who don't have that same work ethic, right? I'm like, how? wait, what are you doing? Like, why are you watching 25 hours of TV a week? Like, I don't understand. And I, like, and, and I think, I mean, you know, Jesse and I are fairly similar in terms of like our, our personalities to a degree. And, and like there's a certain amount of people management skills that's just kind of inherent, like a leadership skill almost. Like it's it's a thing that. Um, are you calling yourself a leader right I now? I tell you what to do all the time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's debatable. Yes. But uh, it, it, it's something that's like comes naturally to some people, but it's also something that you can learn. So, like, when it came to, like, managing your team, um, I mean, how much of that do you think was just who you are versus things that you had to learn along the way? I would say, I, I would say that I've always, like, I, like you said, you know, I, um, as far as the inherent side goes, I mean, I've always been pretty good at taking the lead or taking the reins on something. But historically, it's been I'll take the reins and then I'll just do everything because because that's just the easiest way for me to do it in the past um, was to just like you say, for example, if you're doing a group project with somebody, you know, it's always, it's hard sometimes to count on everybody to contribute equally. So you take the lead and then you end up just saying, you know what, I'm just going to do it. You guys just put your name on it. But in a situation like this, where you where as a dentist, you're supposed to spend, I mean, 95% of your time should be in patient care. You can't do that. You can't do insurance and HR and payroll and supply ordering and marketing and, you know, SEO for your website. I mean, you just can't, it's physically impossible if you want to have a life and if you want to grow. So for me, it, there was a lot of, there was a learning curve um, as far as trying to figure out each individual person's personality and what motivated them. Um, 
as far as leadership goes, because it's at least in my experience, if you try to lead one way with a group of people that come from all walks of life, it's not going to work. I mean, you can set guidelines, but then after that, I've, I've, at least in my experience, I've found that I have to cater in, to a certain extent individually and have individual conversations with people to get them all on the same page. And how long did it take you to, to learn that as you were? It took me a couple of years. Yeah. Okay. I mean, it really did, you know, um, because like you said, you know, um, or maybe you didn't say, maybe I said, I don't know, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, what am I trying to say? You can, you can set the, you can set things up the way you want them, but then for them to follow them, the rules or the guidelines, the way you want them to, you have to show them step by step. Yeah. You know, that's, I think where after talking to you, Corey, um, that's where the processes side of things comes into play. Um, at least I, I think that's what processes are, but <laughs> I'm I mean, still again, figuring I'm it out, cool for that, but you know, <laughs> is that right? I don't yeah, know. Yeah, no, it's, it's process and it's training. And then another thing that we've been working with you on kind of over the past couple of months is like culture. And I mean, it, right. it, hiring people who fit your culture mm-hmm. is such an important part of, of hiring because you're going to, you're going to bring people on who already kind of think and act like you. It's not yeah. like you're getting a bunch of robots in there, but like when you're saying that you expect people to know what to do, like you're hiring people and they're like, Oh, I know that he already expects me to do this or yeah. she already expects this to happen. Yeah. And when you, when you think about hiring, when you're hiring for culture, you're really, you're hiring people that have, that are a really good fit for the practice and then while you and then you it's easier to work with guidelines or these high level processes because there can be and I love this saying freedom within the framework for them to do what they want, knowing that they're going to execute on it at, at the end of the day. What how it, <clears throat> excuse me, what needs to be accomplished will be accomplished. So the what is there and it doesn't really the how doesn't matter as much. And that makes for happier employees all around. Mm hmm. Yeah, like giving them, you're, empowering isn't the right word, but you're you're saying, here's a task, you figure out the best way for you to do this task. Mm-hmm. That's the way I task Corey. I just say, here's your task. I don't care how you do it, just do it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, and that that's, that just takes time and it takes the, the effort. Um, you know, it's, it's funny. We were, we were just talking about, we had our staff meeting today. Um, we have staff meetings once a month and today we were actually talking about culture because a few people in the office have recently had bad experiences in other health settings with front desk or, you know, back of house or, or whatever part of the, um, appointment it was, um, and situations like that, it makes them realize how important culture is for the practice as a whole, but also it's, it's something that comes through, uh, and, and, um, uh, with your daily interactions with people. And that's the kind of stuff that gets back to the referring dentists. I mean, for us, mm-hmm. you know, it, a root canal to a certain extent, a root canal is a root canal, you know? You go in, do the root canal, patient's not in pain anymore. They never see it. They don't care what it looks like. 
You know, all they want is the tooth doesn't hurt anymore. And now I can get my crown or my filling or whatever and go about my day. So when they go back to the dentist, they're not going to say, oh, the root canal was fantastic. They're going to say the people were really nice uh, and the appointment was quick and the doctor was nice and they took good care of me, um, you know, and, and, and all in all, it was a great experience. You know, that's the kind of stuff that gets back to them. So that's where the culture side of things comes into play. And you can see that pretty quickly. You can pick up on that when you go into restaurants, you know, any business setting, really. Um, you know, when you go to the front desk, the first thing that I notice is whether somebody makes eye contact with me or not, you know, mm-hmm. culture is definitely a differentiator. Yeah. And, and at that point, you're not you're not selling the root canal. You're selling the experience. Yeah, exactly. You know, I walk in, I say, hey, good morning. Hey, good morning. You know, are you so and so, you know, nice to meet you. You know, welcome to the practice, blah, blah, blah. You know, and immediately because I'm you know, people when, come, when they come in for a root canal, they're in pain or they're upset because they have to get a root canal or they're scared, you know, because they have to get a root canal and they're coming to see somebody they've never seen before. And they've only been to one desk for the last 25 years. And this is all new, you know. So in that situation, you have to make things as happy and predictable as possible. So when you walk into an office and they don't make eye contact with you and they're on their phone, you know, and they're short and they just hand you a clipboard and tell you to fill it out and bring it back when you're done. Like you're right out of the gate. You're off to, to a bad start. Mm-hmm. That's that's so true. Um, and, and I love talking about culture, but I want to shift gears a little bit because at some point you got to the point in your practice where you knew that you were ready to expand. Right. So you actually opened up a second location. Can you talk to us a little bit about that decision making process and how different it was opening up the second one to opening up the first one because of all the knowledge that you'd gained from the first one? Yes. So the decision to a certain extent just came from the fact that I had. um, So I opened in 2012 and 2018. I hired an associate um, because I was just getting too busy to where I was not able to accommodate people fast enough. So I brought an associate on um, and <clears throat> that was in June, July of 2018. And it wasn't maybe three months later that I thought about it. And I, and I looked at my referral base and I, and I noticed that there were a number of people coming from uh, a certain area in town. And I had a few phone calls, you know, where people are saying, Hey, you know, I'd love to refer more to you, but you're too far away. Um, and you know, when, when I got that information, I thought about, it. I thought, well, I got another person here. I've always wanted to open something in that location. Let me go take a look. Uh, <clears throat> and it just kind of happened pretty quick after that. So he was hired in July of 2018 and we were open for business in short pump in on uh, Valentine's day, February 14th, 2019. So that, that all happened pretty quick too. Yeah, that's um, fast. Then, yeah. And then after that, I hired somebody, another associate that summer to start working full-time in short pump. So yeah, a lot of that stuff happened pretty quick. And um, <clears throat> I had talked to some people, some um, more, uh, some more experienced specialists in town. And most of them told me that for them, it took about five years for them to get to the point where they were really busy. And I found that to be pretty accurate. I mean, I was busy. I was busy enough for me for the first few years, but then right, right around now, right around five years, 
I noticed that things really started to pick up, but I was also marketing like crazy. So it wasn't like I was just, you know, open from, you know, eight to five Monday through Friday and people just kept showing up. I mean, I was open Monday through Friday, eight to five, but I was also actively marketing the whole time. Yeah. And, and when you went to open up that second practice, um, <laughs> How much, uh, how much, like, did you have to relearn or research? Because, I mean, it, 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 opening up a second practice seems as, like, it, you should be able to repeat it just like you did your first practice, but there's a lot of things that you probably wanted to do better, and there's a lot of things that you needed to consider because you were going to be sharing employees, sharing vendors, yeah. that type of stuff. Yes. So <clears throat> I did um, – I had been keeping a log – of all of the mistakes that I had made with the first practice in case I ever opened the second practice. Um, so I did have that to refer to right out of the gate. Um, so I made up for a lot of the mistakes that I made the first time. Like I, you know, I had a, my second location was more square footage. It had more storage, had a bigger break room for my staff. Um, you know, those kinds of things. Um, aesthetically, everything's the same. Functionally, everything's the same. Um, the one mistake I made the second time was assuming that the builder who built the first location was going to do everything exactly the same the second time. And the mistake happened where he had grown significantly since the first build out. And he had other people in the field working for him, doing the things that he did the first time. Mm. So the first time he kind of held my hand through the whole process of like showing me doorknob styles and showing me different toilet options. For the, you know what I mean? Like all of the little things that you don't really think about. He showed that all to me and gave me choices. So when the second time came around, I told them, I was like, I just want to do everything the same way. Well, that I don't think that I think that got lost a little bit along the way because the second location, things are a little more commercial in certain areas where I would have rather them looked more residential. Mm. And that was my fault. I just assumed like I typically do that people are thinking the same way I am. Um, <laughs> you know, in retrospect, I should have been a little more hands-on with that. Interesting fact. Um, I also keep a mistake log and it is a mistake log of all the mistakes Corey makes. It oh, is, it is exactly how many, zero pages long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> how many notebooks? I'll share it with you, Jesse. Yes. <laughs> um, Next. <laughs> All right. Well, we got to get uh, rolling here. But before we go, is there anything that we can do for you? Do for me? Yes. Just keep doing what you do best, man. Perfect. Put good podcasts. We will do that. Um, can you tell everybody how they can get in touch with you or find out more? Sure. Of course. Yeah. Um, so the, the business name is East Coast Endodonics. Uh, the website is eastcoastendova.com. Um, so if you're ever in need of a root canal, you know where to find me. Perfect. Perfect. Um, and let's hope for all of our listeners that they are, and they will come see you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but thanks again, brother. And thank you to all of our listeners and everything that you need to know about, uh, East coast endo or us will be in the show notes. Yep. And if you want to work with us, you can, 
head on over to our website. I almost forgot where they needed to go. Head on over to our website. I was going to say, check the show notes for how to work with us. Um, at sbpace.com, you can also connect with us on social media. We're on LinkedIn. We're on TikTok. We're on Facebook, YouTube, and Corey is an Instagram sensation, so be sure to check him out over there. That's right, folks. Um, Don't forget to download and rate our podcast. Subscribe and give us a review. And if you want to be a guest or if you want to reach out about any topics you want us to cover, head on over to sbpace.com. Did y'all know we wrote a book? Yes. We did, yeah. What's it called, Corey? You go ahead. (laughs) (laughs) Seriously, now what? A Small Business Guide to Disaster Preparedness. And it comes with a digital download workbook, and there may or may not be word search and crossword puzzles in that workbook. Probably not, but there might be. Buy it and check it out. It's the number one Amazon bestseller, and if you already have the book, head on back to Amazon and rate it and review it. We would really, really appreciate it. That's it for today's show. I'm Corey. I'm Julie. And this was BizQuick, helping small businesses across America.